Welcome to another episode of E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have the Frogman, Don Man, uh, former U.S. SEAL, Team 1, Team 2, Team 6, uh, mega triathlon guy, has uh, uh, climbed Mount Everest. We'll talk about that. We talked about that last time, but we'll, we'll re-engage in that. Um, and AKA Sweet Satan is in the building. So I appreciate you, Don. Um, and just give the people a recap of kind of who you are, uh, if you can, for me. Corey, it's great to be here again with you. It's a, a privilege to be here with you. You're such a professional. But uh, yeah, my name is Don Mann, and, um, and I'm an adventure athlete and a retired Navy SEAL. And I did serve at SEAL teams one, two, and six, and have competed in well over a thousand competitions. And I always tried going after the, the toughest ones in the world, which ended up being the 500 and 600 mile long adventure races in the Himalayas or Argentina or somewhere. And we'd really push ourselves to passing out, vomiting or hallucinations. And that's how I measure how hard it was. And um, I loved my life as a SEAL. It taught me so much about life and, um, and training for something very, very difficult. Uh, helped me in preparing for other big things after I left the SEAL teams after doing 21 years. And um, so life takes on many different forms. And I think if you just have a mindset that you can put your mind to anything, directed to anything, that you can accomplish almost anything you set yourself out to do. And, and that's pretty much the, the SEAL philosophy. And, um, and I had a little bit about, a little of that in me before as a SEAL, and then I got a lot as a seal and I've just been building that mindset ever since. Right. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's something that I learned the first time I talked to you was you're a big mindset guy. And, um, I see that across pretty much all the, the big name Navy seals that are out there that whether they have a podcast or they just have some sort of digital footprint, that's like their main message is the mindset. It's not so much your physical attributes and it's, it's mainly mental. We talked about this before of like, you know, your body, you can be the strongest man on the planet, but if you're not mentally there and that's why you did so well in buds, uh, you said is because you, you mentally prepared that it was going to be a terrible experience. And then when you got there, your mental was like way worse than what it actually was, which kept you going so you know with everything that's happened since the last time we talked we talked in uh, january i think of 2020 uh literally like right before uh shit hit the fan and it's been you know kind of virtual ever since then has your mindset like helped you and helped other people like kind of through these trying times do you think and I feel guilty when people say, hey, how are you doing? Well, I could say, well, I've had some friends who've died. Um, I've got some friends who are really sick in the hospital. I've got relatives with COVID. And I, I could go down that path, all that being true. But I don't choose to for some reason. I just choose, like, things are going well. You know, we have this big, big pandemic we're all dealing with. And we just got to group together, do the right thing, and get through it. And um, it's just some tough years. But uh on a personal level, you know, I, I pray and I, you know, I feel bad about all the people who are suffering through this. Other than feeling bad for them and feeling very sad for those folks, it hasn't affected me at all. 
I, right. I, I, uh, I do everything I used to do, except for work. I'm not working as much, but that's okay too, because I get to work out more. So I just, um, some, I just kind of see that there's, with every negative, there's a positive. And um, there are positives coming out of this. Less people have gotten the flu this year, for instance. You know, it's a small positive and a small, a small thing. But, um, you know, we are, we just happen to be at this age where we're all on this planet during this pandemic and we're going to get through it. And it's going to make the other end seem so much nicer and more pleasant. We're going to enjoy our freedoms all the more. And we're going to enjoy just going out and being in public. We're going to get that that appreciation for everything we've lost during the pandemic. And we're going to get it. And it's going to make post-pandemic so much nicer than pre-pandemic, I think. I agree with you 100%. I, I see a lot of people that are doing things that kind of they otherwise wouldn't have done because it's pushed them to do things and get outside their comfort zone, um, which is pretty much where you live is outside of your comfort zone. You don't even live in your comfort zone. So, I, which is phenomenal to me. And that's kind of um, on a personal level, I, myself and my girlfriend, we've taken up like being outdoors more and just kind of like appreciating those things. And we, we touched on that last time we talked when we were talking about you and, uh, and Everest and stuff like that. So, I mean, I just wanted to know kind of more of like a little bit more of the details. Can you just like refresh my memory on your experience? Cause you still, I still, still believe you can't go past 10,000 feet, right? That's what my pulmonologist told me. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a risk taker or anything like that, but I've gone to 14,000 feet five times since Everest. Gosh. And um, all the ones I felt great. And, um, and there are, you know, 54, 14,000 footers out in Colorado. And I've done 20 of them. I like to go up and run down, but I have 32 to 34 to go. And, um, but, you know, I really, really have a good understanding of how I feel when I start feeling bad or feeling sick. And if I start going up to altitude, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12,000, if, if I feel any pulmonary effects, because on Everest, I got high altitude pulmonary edema and cerebral edema. Actually, I was drowning in my fluids, my both lungs filled with fluids, and I lost my color vision and my memory and it got dark. And so all that happened on Everest and my pulmonologist said, well, if I were you, I wouldn't go above 10,000. And I jokingly said, well, I guess I won't see you on the 14ers. But I didn't intend to do that on purpose. I went to 10 and I felt fine. So I kept going without doing any damage or harm, harm to myself. Right. And um, I like that goal. I like this 54, 14ers out there. A lot of people do them all. And it's just my daughter lives out in Denver. And um, so I like going out there, visiting my daughter. She just had a baby and my stepdaughter's out there and she has a son. And I like to go out there and visit my family and go do 14 as well. And they would go skiing, one or the other. Yeah, dude. Listen, <laughs> I was listening to our, our podcast before. And when, when you were talking about Everest, it... So we talked about Everest. We talked about you talked about K two. You talked about how on Everest it's one in every ten die, and on K two out in Pakistan it's one in every three. And as you were describing, like just your experience on Everest with green boots and all that stuff, and then we started talking about your like combat stuff. It just felt eerily similar, where it was like, like the atmosphere was kind of like just almost like hostile, like. Not that people were shooting at you on Everest, but you know what I mean? It was just a very like hostile environment on how you described it. So, you know, is that like 
true or is that just because you also said that it was like a hobbyist could also do Everest. So it's like, I definitely couldn't do it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree on two of the points you made and disagree on one of the points, but um, I disagree that you couldn't do it because I think you could. (laughs) I mean, it's really luck of a draw if you're not going to have altitude issues going up there and you don't get hit with a bad storm. Right. Um, Physically, you can. Uh, and, and Everest is not that physically challenging compared to a lot of other mountains, I should say. Relative, relative to, to some other big mountains, 8,000 meter peaks, it's not as difficult as, some, as many of those. But you're still out there for a month and a month and a half, and you're still up at altitude, and it does take its toll on your body. And um, so that's, that's when people get hurt and die up right. there. Now, those that ratio of one out of 10 who would summit on Everest compared to one out of three who summit on K2 die, that is getting better. The past, um, the past uh, seasons have been, that's better, better now than it used to be. Great. But um, you get one year, like 2015, a lot of people died. In 2014, a lot of people died. 96, a lot of people died. Uh, but some years, you just don't have that many deaths. It kind of depends on when you start to count right right but, um k2 k2 is a difficult mountain very very difficult and and i i'm i wouldn't say i'm as down as low as a hobbyist but i'm not a hardcore mountaineer either but i am way far away from ever even thinking about climbing k2 i couldn't even let my mind go there it's that really? much more difficult than ever yeah because because yeah. it's more steep or the terrain or Yep, the weather's so much worse. There are a lot more dangerous The terrain is so much more rugged and, and challenging and dangerous and unprotected compared to Everest. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a woman climber. Uh, she's from Poland. And they, they, her nickname is the Incredible Wanda. And Wanda was probably one of the greatest climbers um, of all time. But she was one of the by far one of the top women climbers right and uh the legendary wanda the incredible wanda and she's got a long long name so everyone just calls her the legendary incredible wanda from poland but she was the first woman to climb everest and she didn't have an issue wow she also was doing all seven summits and she broke her leg in russia and she shattered a femur um and then the doctor said, well, you're not going to be able to go to K2 like you're planning. You can't go to K2. She said, no, I'm going to go to K2. I'm climbing all the all the 8,000 meter peaks. I'm climbing the tallest peak on every continent. So anyways, the, the toughest person I ever heard of climbing K2 was Wanda. Uh, the hike to Everest Base Camp, it's a hike. You basically walk for 10 days and you're walk, carrying a pack. But you no, walk for 10 days? To get to base camp at Everest. Yep. Oh my God. But K2 is a really, really serious hike that's not just a walk like we'll kid around. Well, I'll kid around. The walk to Everest Base Camp is not hard. Right. It's just a 10 day walk. Right. And you stop at little coffee shops and tea shops and you eat and you drink coffee and tea and what? you sleep in lodge. <laughs> the hike to Base Camp. Yeah. I didn't it's, know it's that. It's really kind of. Yeah. But K2. K2, getting to the to the base of the mountain, it is so, so difficult. But when Wanda broke her leg, she went and did that hike, that 10-day hike to K2, 
on crutches. And then she ended up summiting K2 after a lot of her fellow climbers died right there with her and they froze and they, all the stories on K2, uh, Everest everyone thinks might be harder because it's a little bit higher. K2 is the second highest mountain in the world, but it's by far way more dangerous. Wow. So they have like, I know you said, um, on Everest, they had like green boots and stuff. He's like, when you see green boots, you know, like to bust a right or whatever it is. Do they have that on, on K2? Oh yeah. There's a lot of bodies up on K2 and I don't want to sound too uh, dramatic or anything, but when you pass a body, it's a bad thing. And sometimes it just covered with snow and ice. Um, and, and Wanda mentions this in her book, but sometimes a body will get blown off a ledge or a cliff and shatter. So there'd be a skull over here, a torso over here, a limb over here. Good and that's God. worse than seeing a body. And then poor Wanda, you know, she um, she she wanted to climb every 8,000 meter peak in the world. And there was a bad, bad snowstorm, ice storm. And everybody was coming down one of the 8,000 pe- peaks in uh, Himalayas. And they saw her in a yellow jacket and a snow cave, just freezing, freezing cold. And everybody else was coming down and, they, and a couple guys saw her in a cave. They said, Wanda, you gotta get down. You gotta get down. The storm's gonna get you. And Wanda said, no. And she was climbing solo all these 8,000 meter, which is 25,000 feet and above. She was climbing solo. She weighed probably 90 pounds. What? And she goes, no, I, I gotta make it up there. I'll be okay. But do you have any hot water? I need some hot water. I don't have any fuel. And they said, no, we don't. She said, can I borrow one of you guys' jackets? I'm freezing cold. They said, no, we need it to get down. And then one of the guys started crying because he's seen the legendary Wanda stuck in the snow cave. And her mindset was so stuck on climbing. And she was very, very, she was a brilliant climber. She knew to turn around when things got bad. But for some reason, she made an error. And she decided to wait out the storm and she was freezing cold and she didn't have fuel for hot water or anything. And, um, and that season ended and nobody saw Wander again. And she wanted to climb all 8,000 meter peaks and um, there's 14 of them. And um, so the next year, some climbers went up and they looked down the mountain and they saw a piece of yellow clothing. And they all knew Wander was up there in that yellow summit jacket. And it was Wanda, she got blown off the mountain and she died. And um, so, but I don't mean to say all this negative things, but her body shattered. When wow. Her. What the fuck? Yeah. It's just part of climbing. There's so much good to it, but right. part of the good is knowing that some bad can That's a possibility, yeah. Exciting, actually. Right, right, yeah. And she knew too. She knew what the risk was, but she was that determined to. That's incredible. Reinhold Mesner, the greatest climber of all time. I've only known him to say he respects one climber, and he said, "I respected Wander a great deal." Wow. And he, that's Reinhold Mesner, and I had some friends who've climbed with Wander, and they uh, she said, "Yeah, she's a really, really nice lady," but she was intense. She's very, very intense. You have to be. You have to be intense. You have to be some sort of, like, have a mindset to want to climb all eight meter summits on the planet. Like that, you gotta have. You gotta be a cut from a different kind of cloth. I think, honestly. And she was. She was. Um, she was 
grew up in Poland. And after World War II, of course, Poland was all bombed out and everything. And she was a little, little, little girl. Her and her two brothers went out to one of these bombed out structures. And her brother got hit with an unexploded bomb and he lost his life. And Wanda saw that. And she was dirt, dirt poor. Her family was dirt poor. And she had nothing. She experienced some tragedy at an early age. And she never wanted anything. She just lived in a little tiny apartment in Poland. And all she, she set out her mind for big, big things. And she went after them. And I don't think her story is 100% tragic because she did climb that last summit. And that's what she set out to do, to do uh-huh. everything she put her mind to. She lost her life doing it, which is tragedy. But that's how she lived her life. And she was a, a, a huge inspiration for a whole generation of climbers, male and female. Right, right. That's incredible. Well, that's that's kind of, you know, the macro micro goal mindset that you use, right? The kind of have this like almost ridiculous goal, but knowing that you can get to it and then add these little uh, micro goals in between, like when you did the marathon and, you know, you wanted to at least do the one in Hawaii, but you wanted to break that guy's record. So like, you know, you have a similar kind of mindset, I think, which is why you do and you enjoy, you don't do these things just because you're like, Oh, I got to do this. You actually want to do these things, which is, pretty incredible um have you so have you you just been going up and down 10 and 14 footers the last year right the fourteen thousand footers yep i think since we last spoke in january yeah i've been i've been doing a lot of skiing out there out west and paddling i'm still paddling the water is pretty flat right now i'm right. doing a lot of paddling but mainly cycling i'm doing a lot of cycling mountain bike riding um road riding and I'm having a gravel bike built for climbing gravel mountains out in, in uh, West Virginia, Virginia Mountain, the Blue Hill, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Blue Ridge, yeah. Nice. Um, so, yeah. I, and then um, there's a uh, four-mile hill, and I did it for a time trial, <laughs> just running down and going back up just to see the, the pace I can keep up. And it's, it's, it's just a steep, steep trail. And I've been, you know, I've trained on the Appalachian Trail and Blue Ridge Parkway. And, uh, and those are in Virginia. That's that's our great training grounds. Right, yeah. We're actually going to uh, West Virginia this weekend, or starting Monday. We're going away to uh, uh, Capricone, West Virginia or something, like right on the Blue Ridge Mountains or something like that. So, yeah, we're, we're going to go do some hiking there. We, we go to Shenandoah all the time and, and stuff like that. It's it's pretty incredible. But then it's like when you've seen, like, like I said before, uh, last time we talked, I went to Rainier. It's like, crazy the difference like these aren't these are like hills compared to like what you know everest and like the himalayas and all this crazy stuff so it's but it's nice to have it right in our backyard honestly that's right yeah and uh, you know what I, I when i put on all those races odyssey adventure racing uh, most of our races were up in the blue ridge mountains in oh. virginia west virginia we had a lot in ten- we had some in tennessee some in kentucky in North Carolina, but most of them were in Virginia and West Virginia, mainly because of all the back-to-back hills. And people from Colorado and all over the country had come to the races. They said, why is it your races are so hard? We're out West, even though our mountains go up to 14,000, 15,000 feet, it's not that hard out here. And it is because what we have access to and all the trails, the Appalachian Trail and all the trails on the East Coast 
go up and they come down and it's nonstop. And um, I learned years ago when the settlers came to the US and they built their trails and roads, they built them up and they come back down. They didn't understand switchbacks yet. Huh. So out west trails are like a lot of switchback and it's not real steep. Right. And, and also the, the 14,000 footers usually start at about 10,000 feet where you start the climb. Right. So you're still only doing about a four or 5,000 foot climb. Right. That's funny you say that. Cause when I, when I went to Rainier, it was like the, the base camp or where people were starting to go up to the glaciers on the top and the peak was literally right at 10,000 foot or feet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. What kind of stuff do you have to do? Like to prep for, uh, I know you said it was like 90 plus thousand dollars. It was like a 75 day type thing. I mean, do you have to wear like, obviously you have to wear certain equipment, but like, is it almost like race car drivers? Cause don't race car drivers have like, I've heard they have, they wear like catheters so they can just go to the bathroom while they're driving. Is there anything like crazy that you have to do when you're preparing for something like that? Not really. There isn't. I mean, you've got to get cardio fit and you have to get your legs fit, of course. Right. And um, a lot of ways to do that, even at sea level, you know, just with trainers and um, squats and, and lunges and things like that. But basically, you have to prepare your body for altitude. And that, that helps when you go out to Denali or Rainier or, or any of Mount Baker or the 14ers to try to just to see how your body reacts at altitude. If you have bad, bad, terrible headaches and you can't make it on the 14ers, you're probably not going to make it to the summit of Everest. Right. And um, a 20,000 footer, I've had problems at 20,000 feet before at Cotopaxi in Ecuador, um, a couple other 20,000 footers. And um, I really felt my chest pounding. It was hard to breathe. So I knew for me, over 20,000, I feel it. Some people, at, at the summit of Everest, they don't, they don't have a problem. It's just how you're born. And they don't know why you get hay for haze, high altitude pulmonary or cerebral edema. They still can't figure out why it hits some people, when it hits people, or what brings it on, or what characteristics a person might have that makes them more prone to getting it. Like Sredman Hillary, he, um, he got hay and haze after he summited Everest, and he couldn't go back up to altitude. Wow. And nobody really knows why, and they're still trying to figure it out during the high altitude mountain series, the summit series they have, the conferences and all. Right. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, when you told me that stuff, I was just my I, I have I've like I told you before, I've had three open heart surgeries, so I don't know how my altitude would do. My heart would probably be like, eh, let's just stick to Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains. But um, man. Well, I, I think you're excited because of everything you got going on for sure. You have a bunch of programs you're doing. You have a, a clothing line that you co-founded. You have, um, I don't know if you want to talk about your your potential show coming out, you know, Surviving Man and stuff like that, but you got a lot of shit going on. You want to talk about some of that stuff? Sure. Um, you know, I, I really have a, a heart for children, uh, especially children who are handicapped or, or have a problem, you know, they were born with difficulties or, or that they just don't get a fair chance. That's always bothered me like children, like supporting the Special Olympics for me, it's a gut wrencher. It's so hard for me to help children. I mean, I love it and I just want to help them all the more. Yeah. But it yeah, just, soft spot. It seems, yeah, it just doesn't seem fair when children are born without a chance. So I always, really, if, if I had to give 
all my time to a charity, probably one of the top charities would be helping children. Uh, second to that, or right side by side would be veterans, uh, wounded veterans and all. But anyways, I got a call from the Navy SEAL uh, Foundation. It's called uh, SEAL Kids. They asked if I would help represent them. I said, wow, that's helping children and veterans. Yes, I'm there. Right. So, and, and, um, and so I want to help these SEAL kids, kids who've lost their fathers in battle or in training, and SEAL kids who are without a father. I said, absolutely, that's just what I want to do. And so there's two things I'm doing to help support the SEAL kids. One of them is I created, I'm creating, I should say, uh, a huge virtual adventure race that's across the United States. It's 50 states and it's virtual. There's 10 events in every state. So there's 500 events. So for instance, you go into West Virginia or say Virginia, if you click online in Virginia, it'll be 10 events you have to do. It might be swimming, you know, part of uh, the James, uh, doing so much of the Appalachian Trail, biking so much of Blue Ridge Parkway. It would be things unique to Virginia that, that take two to three hours and you have to do 10 within a year. And then if you go to West Virginia, you have to do those 10 unique events, but you only have to do one state. And you can do it with a partner, so your partner does five and you can do five, or you can do it with a group of people at work where you all pick one thing. Mm -hmm. But it's all to promote, it's free, I want it to be free. But throughout the website, you'll say, click here to see more about the SEAL kids and donate here if you wish. And I'm trying to do that as a, a platform just to promote SEAL kids and to promote racing and training without having a starting line or without fees or anything. And I wanna, right. I'm trying to put that together now and I'm, I'm, I've got a ways to go. I'm looking for volunteers to assist on that because it's very computer heavy, the workload. So I'm doing that. And then the other thing is this uh, clothing brand, Neptune Athletics. It's, uh, we're doing the same thing with Neptune Athletics. I've got two friends down in Florida. Uh, here's a tennis pro. And um, right now we're gearing the clothing for all around sports, but it's uh, started off heavy in the tennis world. And um, if you go to Neptune Athletics website, it's all for promoting the SEAL kids. Oh. So I'm doing the clothing line and the TV show. Um, I'm sorry, the clothing line and the, the event, the America's Virtual Race. And then that just happened recently since we last spoke, it's, it's gained a lot. And that's right. a TV show called Surviving Man. And that's going to be just um, taking a lot of people out, training them, bringing them to a range, teaching them some shooting skills. Uh, then there's a competition. Then, then I have to compete against the winner of that. And then we're going to do it with celebrities. I believe the modern day Housewives TV show is going to be our first. We have an NBA player is going to be our second. And an NFL player will be our third celebrity. Oh and we're going to take them. That'll be out in Las Vegas. And with the shooting, the first four episodes are going to take place within the next 60 days, next 45 days by now. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm super pumped for that, man. Cause I saw like the kind of tail uh, trailer teaser type video for it. And I just thought it was like total badass. Cause like talking to you, it's like, just the story man i just like want to have you over for dinner and just like and like have a glass of wine and just like listen to you talk about your stories i mean like you said in the last time we talked it was almost like 
like the the Captain Phillips and like some of these stories just seem like fiction because they're so crazy that they're almost hard to believe, but they're a hundred percent true. So I'm glad to see you and put your face out there and all your experiences and in your training and stuff that that you've trained Navy SEALs and you've you know you've done yourself kind of put certain people and you know your average Joe have it, you know, have it to to the test. I think it's totally awesome. You don't really see a lot of shows like that. And I think it's a perfect time, you know, for that. Cause uh, you know, you gotta kind of be ready for pretty much anything with the way the world's going now, whether it's politically or just pandemic wise in general, you know, it's better to just be be healthier and be fit and kind of have those attributes, um, which I think is fucking awesome, man. So kudos to you. I'm really pumped for that. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, I was actually going to ask you, um, this is kind of crazy, uh, but like everything that happened over the pandemic was with um, like all the cop stuff, right? So I, I remember uh, watching Rogan and Jocko was on there and he was talking about what they should do for like the police, right? And I was like, he said that they should train them like the SEALs, like police officers should come. This is totally random. I don't know why I thought about this, but I obviously talking to a Navy SEAL, I was curious of like I, what your thought was on that. And I, I thought it was a fantastic idea versus the whole, when they were trying to defunding all that stuff, like put more training into those people, because talking to someone like you who's so level-headed and in crazy situations can have such a kind of like straightforward approach with it. And like a realistic kind of like mindset really helped you get to where you are today. And I, th I just thought like his idea of Jocko's idea of that was fascinating. So I was just curious if like from another former Navy SEAL, what your kind of, I don't know, idea for that was. Well, I tell you, I should have put that in third. I mean, it's children, veterans and cops where my heart is right. and cops so much right now today because um, I wanted to be a police officer. And I wanted, when I got out of high school, I went to college to be a police officer. And they said, well, anybody here who wants to be a cop to chase down bad guys and have shootouts and have all this action and jump from building to building, none of that's ever gonna happen. You're basically gonna get lower pay than anybody else. You pull your weapon out, you're probably gonna lose your job, you're gonna end up in court. And um, your divorce rate's the highest in civilian population. So all that stuff, all those reasons you guys wanna be cops, None of those reasons will probably ever happen. And um, you've just been tainted your mind on watching too much TV. So he changed my mind and quite a few others of not wanting to be cops. I've trained a lot of police officers in shooting, shooting skills. And those guys have, when, I, when we have shooting training and they come and they come every six months and they come to the range, they're very professional. All they want to do is a good job and we'll have uh, targets come across, lifelike targets in different situations. Some are threats and some are non-threats. And they'll react as quickly as they can. And every now and then they'll shoot a non-threat. Somebody shouldn't be shot, like what's happened on occasion now. Right. It's always going to happen, unfortunately. It's not a good answer, but it's always going to happen. Right. But the reason is, and like I agree with Jocko to most of that, but the reason is, is because they simply don't have the training they need. They don't have the funds. They don't have the time on the range. Coming to a range twice a year, it's not enough. I mean, they have to buy their own ammo and go train on their own time, and that's still not enough. And, and I've never, ever met a bad cop, ever. 
I mean, every cop I've ever met, all they want to do is the right thing, but they do make mistakes. I don't know anybody who doesn't make mistake in any profession, but the cops, especially when, when everybody is against them, um, and all they're doing is out there working at the poverty level, trying to do a good job. There's bad apples everywhere you look. I just haven't met one as a cop, but you know they're out there. But um, I, they, they're, they, uh, my hats are off to every police officer in this country for what they put themselves up against every single day. Every time they pull over anybody, they're risking their life walking up to that car. And they're doing it for us to try to be safe, for us to be safe. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy that they, you know, they basically have to be a psychiatrist, um, a, like an athlete, basically a sharpshooter. They have to do all these things that are very difficult. And for one person to be able to do that with, with like a ridiculous amount of non-training, I mean, the canine dogs spend more time in training than the humans do, which is crazy to me yeah. that that a dog is getting more training than an actual human that's going to be out there in the public and you're right there are bad apples uh for sure but you know i i agreed with him and i i think you know i agree with you too where it's just like they they don't need less training they need more training and the training sure you know mentally needed to be similar to kind of the high level military guys because you guys are just on a whole nother level not even just like physically and just like your tactics and all that stuff just mentally the shit that you guys have to go through and and prepare for is just on a whole nother level and i was just always fascinated by that and i was just curious if your input really just because you obviously experienced it but i can also say thanks for saying all that about the, the seals and the military in general um i have never met a seal who hasn't made a mistake like that either i mean it's just when you're doing what you do, people do make mistakes. And, right. and you know, we've lost good people because of that. And it's just inherent. But when you don't have the training, you're much more prone to making mistakes. And, um, and as far as what Jocko was saying, the, the, the part that could never happen is they're spending a half a million dollars on a BUDS candidate to make him get through BUDS. If someone... I mean, we, we don't, they're, they're taking away the cops funding now right. and, and for them to get any type of training, it's really, really difficult for them. I mean, in an ideal world, that would be fantastic. Right. But we are going, unfortunately, we're going the opposite direction right now. Right. Yeah. Damn. That's fucking crazy. Well, I hate that. I, I know you gotta, you gotta roll soon. So I didn't want to end on a negative note, but how are you doing? Uh, you came out with a book recently, right? Well, yep. Um, actually I do. I just finished another book and um, there's, there's two really. There's one that's called Women Warriors and that is all the women who, there's 2,000 and in World War II, there were 2,000 snipers trained in Russia, women snipers. They were phenomenal. In Vietnam, in Vietnam, we had like some really bad enemy of us, but um, the VC, uh, they were, there were some great, great um, women warriors there. Some of the greatest pirates in the world were women. And um, I just thought it'd be interesting to write a book on women warriors. And, um, and then the other one that it's finishing up, uh, but I should be done in about four months, is on political assassins, on the motives and why people go out to try to kill political leaders. You know, not only just, not only just Kennedy and Lincoln, but 
you know, there's a long, long list. And to me, it's, uh, it's just fascinating. I started off with the SEAL uh, storyline and went to shooting and survival, but now piracy is kind of related to SEALs and assassins is going against the enemy. So it's kind of the same theme, just with maybe a broader appeal to more people. Right, right. That's pretty cool, man. So was that 23 or 24 books, I guess, now? Oh, it'll be 20 total when those two are done. Oh, okay. All right. Damn, man. That's awesome, dude. I can't wait for, you know, let me know when it comes out. I'll, uh, I'll check it out for sure. Um, website, usfrogman with two N's.com, right? Yeah. Nice. Um, that's good, man. Well, hey, I know you got a roll, so I'll let you get out of here. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to me again. Um, and I'll put all your your details and stuff like that in the in the um, in the in the details uh, of your websites and everything, or how people can reach you um, in the description. But I really appreciate you coming on again, man. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Corey. I hope we get to meet up in the mountains someday. We'll go do a hike someday, maybe this spring or something. Text me. I'm hundred percent down. Hundred okay. percent. I know I'm in good hands if I'm with you for sure. So absolutely, <laughs> that'll be fun. Hell yeah, man! All right, man. Well, that's another episode for E4 Explosive Podcast, and we'll see you next time.